You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Amen. All right, so we are still in the book of Nehemiah. If you want to turn to chapter 12. And the, um, that's, is that it? No. That's not mine. Oh. Oh, we're going to uh, continue. We're just about done with uh, Nehemiah. Today is, um, we're going to talk about the completion of the wall and their reaction to the completion of the wall. Um, and we have several today that are going to be going to a funeral. So um, I don't know what time you guys have to leave by, you think like, by straight up 12 or a little bit before 12 or something? A little after 12? Okay, okay. Um, so, and I, I wanted to pause this morning and pray for uh, Johnny uh, Watkins and his family. Uh, his mom passed away um, last week, and um, they're traveling over for a funeral. It's been a really tough uh, time uh, for him and for his family. So, uh, we just want to pause for a minute and Pray for God's healing touch on their hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Johnny and the Watkins family, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would give everybody who's going over uh, today, Lord, uh, safe passage, um, but also, Lord, um, full hearts. Um, when something like this happens, Lord, everybody lifts the load just a little bit. Nobody can take away uh, the pain but you, and nobody can heal a heart but you, Lord. Um, but when we reach out in love to people that we um, really do love and, and uh, identify with, um, it brings a, a special kind of grace uh, to their lives, and we just pray that they would be experiencing uh, that today, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, kind of give you a little bit of a, uh, a recap of where we've been uh, in the book of uh, Nehemiah. I'm not going to go through all of it, um, but especially uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, last week um, we talked about um, them completing the wall, but then th in instituting, reinstituting worship uh, in uh, uh, in Israel. So uh, Nehemiah goes over to to build a physical structure, but what he's going to do is to restore Israel to a right relationship with God, um, to um, to restore their identity. Um, as a nation, uh, and last week we stood as we read the scriptures like Israel stood as Ezra read um, the law to them, um, and it was a really big deal. It was, um, it was uh, transformative um, to them. Um, they, the, of their own volition, God didn't command them to do this, but they made a covenant with God, and they called curses upon themselves if they violated this covenant. And I got mixed feelings about that, but I don't have mixed feelings about their heart at that point. Um, because you can't have a better covenant than the covenant that God made with them. And they were the ones that failed that. And you know how it is sometimes, you just make a, you're just determined, I'm never going to do that again, and I'm so sorry for doing that. And I think God loves it when we do that. When we finally come to a place 
where we just say, I was so wrong and I am so sorry and I want to be right. I want to be right with you. And that's what they were doing. So they, they signed a covenant and that's kind of where we left it um, uh, last uh, week that, uh, that they would abide by God's law. This was in uh, uh, verses, um, chapters 9 uh, and about half of chapter 10. Um, and they, I, they spelled it out, and which is also really important when you want to get down to real life and you want to not just say, oh, well, I'm sorry if I hurt you or something like that, but to say, this is what I have done wrong. And that's what they did. Um, they confessed their sin in detail. Um, as I told you um, last week, part of my discipleship, the first, I don't know, probably 10 years of my walk with the Lord, it was a constant, constant emphasis on walking in repentance. Some people come to the Lord, they repent one time, and you talk to them about repentance, and they're like, oh yeah, I've already done all of that, and that's all over. But it, there's a daily washing, there's a daily renewing, there's a, there's a daily need for us to admit our faults. Everybody would say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's, an, it's one thing to say that generally, and it's another thing to say specifically. And that's what Israel did before the Lord. They confessed um, their sins. Um, then we, we're going to move on to, um, to uh, later in chapter 10, uh, and then chapter 11 and chapter 12. And we're not going to talk about this this morning. I'm just kind of giving you a recap of some of the things that we're, um, that we're kind of skipping over to get to what we're going to talk about today. Um, is, a, is a shift in, in the repopulation. So it, the, the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. I mean, it wasn't just the wall that was down. It was just a, a basically a, a dangerous place that nobody wanted to live. Um, there hadn't been, they, they had restored the temple and they'd begun to have temple worship, but it was a dangerous place. When you don't have walls, you don't have security, you don't have any way to, to keep the enemy out or even identify who the enemy is, it's just a free-for-all. It's like a, many of our inner uh, cities um, in the world, not just in uh, the United States, are sort of like that where it's just a dangerous place to be. There's people that are opportunists, people that are looking for opportunities you know, to, uh, to take care of themselves and to hurt other people. And that's how Jerusalem was. And so when Nehemiah comes back and they build the wall, he has to kind of order them. He's got the authority to do this. Orders some of them to move into the city. So he takes one out of ten families and he says, you're going to live in the city. Um, one reason why they were living in the outer um, uh, uh, towns that were surrounding Jerusalem is because they were an agrarian society. They were agricultural um, society, raising flocks, raising um, uh, uh, fields, uh, and things like that. And so they had to be sort of out there. Um, there's not a lot of arable land there, but there is some arable land. It's not all desert like it is in much of the Middle East. Um, and it was a land flowing with milk and honey, but those things had to be cultivated and, uh, and raised, and that's what their jobs were, and so they were living outside the city, but Nehemiah said, I want the city populated, and so he ordered them to come move into the city. Remember, some of these people were already here in the land, but there was a bunch of people that came over with Nehemiah that had been slaves, that had been in captivity, and they had to learn all of this new stuff. It was a whole generation. It wasn't just 40 years that they were in captivity. It was much longer than that. And so many of them had just completely lost uh, the ability to make a living, the ability to think for themselves. 
And that's what he wanted to do. He wants them to not just come and be in the, in the uh, promised land, but to populate the promised land and to cultivate the promised land and to, and to repopulate Jerusalem. Jerusalem is such a special place to Jewish people because it's called the city of David and it's called Mount Zion. And if you read in the Psalms, David talking about Mount Zion, I mean, you can tell, man, you know, it's, it's a little bit more than um, just kind of like his hometown or something like that. It's the, it's the dwelling place of God. It's the meeting place of God. We're going to talk a little bit about David um, here in a, in a minute um, as it relates to um, Jerusalem. So he's repopulating Jerusalem. Um, this means that a cross-section of the population are going to live in the holy city while the other ones are living in the outlying um, settlements. Um, Nehemiah also registers in uh, chapter 12. Um, he registers and organizes the priests and the Levites. So they came back in and they have a, um, they, they have a temple. Um, and so they're, they're set up for it, but it's not organized yet. And so when Nehemiah comes in, that's what he's going to do. He is going to set, and I know some, with some people, religion has a, you know, a kind of a negative connotation. I hope that's not true for you because religion itself is not bad if all you have is religion then that's bad but if religion is the way that you commonly express your worship to the lord it's good it's like we it's the thing that binds us together the practices the the habits the gathering together what do we do when we come together and i know we you know a non-denominational church, independent. We kind of think, well, we don't have any of that stuff, but we do. We have an organized way to do it, and that's what they're doing. They're bringing it back to the way that God said to organize it, but not just the way that God said to organize it either, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Um, so he registers the priest, um, and, and they, so they, they come to dedicate um, the walls. Um, we had a, a house dedication uh, yesterday for somebody that uh, moved, JB and Kimmy. Um, and so uh, it's like they move into their house, but it's like it's, there needs to be something done. You know, you know what I mean? Something that where it's not just moving into your house and it's just like a house, but it's moving. It's, it's like God is directing their steps. God is going to bless their house. This is a place where their kids are going to be raised and there's going to be, it's going to be infused with memories and you know, blood and sweat and tears and joy and laughter. And so we gathered together just to dedicate. And that's what Israel is doing now. They have accomplished something and they're going to, um, they're going to celebrate that and they're going to formalize that. Um, so I'm going to read to you from... Um, I'm going to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 12. You can read along uh, verses 30 through 31. This is uh, uh, in 7. It says that they had completed the walls except for um, the... Um, they set up the doors and the gatekeepers. We talked about this a little bit last week. So I don't know about you, but it stands out to me. The Levites are the priests, right? And the gatekeepers are the guys that are in charge of security. Actually, all of these guys are in charge of security. That's what their, their jobs are. But the, the fact that they're singers, you know, it's like we want to secure, if we wanted to secure a building, who would you know that would like appoint a singer? Like you stand here and sing, you know, and that's going to be your job. And they're like, is that security? And it is. The, 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 uh, the Israelites recognize 
um, that the singers um, were um, a, a vital part of the community and a vital part of serving the Lord in a particular way. So in Nehemiah chapter 7, it says that they are, they're beginning to kind of formalize this and set this, this all up. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 10, um, just kind of charts uh, what has happened with them. Is that at the reading of the law, they were pricked in their hearts and they were, they were convicted in their hearts. And they did what is a godly thing to do when you're convic convicted, and that is to repent. It says, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. God doesn't want us to sit under a load of guilt. He doesn't want us to, to, uh, to be in a, a distant relationship with Him. He doesn't want our sin to separate us, and He's done what He can. He's done, he's done everything necessary to, to restore a relationship with us. And um, there is a season for, for tears. If, and if you've never experienced it, I can tell you this. And I'm not talking about tears because something sad happened. I'm talking about tears because you realize what you have done. And you realize what you are guilty of. And you're so sorry for that. You ever been in a place like that? It's like you look at your, your life and you're like, I can't believe, you know, that I did that. When I first came to the Lord, a friend of mine some of, my, some of my friends' friends that I thought were real friends, just I never saw them again. When they found out I was a Jesus freak, I never saw them again. But one of them was a real friend of mine. He really was. And he came over to my house. We talked for hours. We talked for three or four hours. And I just, I was so full of the, the Holy Spirit and so full of joy for what God had done. And I really wanted him to have what I had. And so we, we sat and talked for a long, long time. And at the end of that conversation, as he got up to go, he said, Joe, I think what you're doing is good. But he said, in order for me to be where you are would take a leap of faith. And he said, I'm not ready to do that right now. Which I thought was incredibly perceptive. Incredibly perceptive. And incredibly, you know, honest. That he, he loved me, he cared enough about me that he wasn't just going to say, oh, you know, that's, that's great, and leave. But he, he actually described his condition. And in describing his condition, I got peace from that because I said, I know that he knows what's going on here, and he knows what God is, is asking of him. Ten years later, I got a phone call. He was living in San Antonio. I got a phone call from him. He said, I need to talk. And he came and, uh, to, to talk to me, and uh, we set up a time, I went out to his house, and again, we had one of those long conversations. And what had happened was, is that he had beat up his girlfriend. And he could not believe that he did that. He was so ashamed of himself. He felt so guilty. And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, 10 years ago, I reminded him, I said, you said that in order for you to be like me, you would have to take a leap of faith, and you're weren't willing to do that at that time and so I asked him I said are you ready now and he said yeah and so he wrote out a prayer I told him kind of you know this is you're putting yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ you're confessing your sins you're not you know you're not soft soaping it or glossing over it you're saying exactly what you're guilty of and so he wrote out this prayer and then he read it to me and I'm like that's an awesome prayer have you prayed it and he was like no not yet so we went to Bergfeld Park and we sat under a tree and he prayed that prayer and he asked Jesus into his heart. 
I wish I could tell you that it was fairy tale after that, but it wasn't. It was a struggle after that, um, even for the rest of his life. But there were times that he came back and, and, and connected with me and we talked. And uh, I don't know that he ever got situated in a church. If he was living here, I guarantee you he would have been not just welcome, but I, I would have made it, you know, my life mission to make sure that he was with me in, in walking with the Lord. And he, he passed away a, a few years ago, guy my age, which is kind of scary. Um, but I know that I was there and I saw the sincerity of his faith. And I know that Jesus Christ did something in his heart at that time. That's what confession does. See, there's a season for tears. And if you miss that season, you're going to miss the season of rejoicing. But if you fully experience that season and you experience the forgiveness of God, when you get up, you got something to celebrate, man. And that's where Israel is right now. They were convicted by the law. They repented in sackcloth and ashes and dust on their heads. They've been through the process. They've been restored to God. They don't just have a new wall. They have a new walk. They have a new identity. And so they're going to they're celebrate that. Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 30 through 43 and it says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. That means they offered sacrifices for it. They went through the ritual purification, which is in itself not really anything. It's what we do in faith before God, that we're, we're doing a physical thing to signify a spiritual, a spiritual thing. And it says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall, to the dung gate, and after them went Hosiah and half the leaders of Judah and Israel, and Azariah and Ezra and Meshullam and Judah and Benjamin, Shemaiah and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons, with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mattathiah, Mattaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, with musical instruments of, da of, of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. What they're describing here is a complete, they walked completely on the walls, and then when they got by the temple, then they came down off the walls and went into the temple and offered sacrifices. And at the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the bread wall, to the, I'm sorry, the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yesh Yesh Yeshana, sorry, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who, had gave, who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officers with me, and the priest, 
and then it names them. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Just pause for a second and picture this scene. Because this is like, this is magnificent. I imagine them dressed in white. They're going into the temple. They've, they've been um, um, dedicated, and, um, and the priest has offered sacrifices on their behalf. And I, I just imagine the sun coming up, bright day, white clothes, walking on that, and the whole way they're going, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a resounding sound of praise. Just pause for a second and picture that. This is the culmination of what God's intention was. It's not the end, but this is the full, they have fully accomplished what God has sent them to do in Jerusalem. And now it's just a time of praise. I think that's what Sunday morning ought to be for all of us. I really do. Have you ever been to a church where it's just like they're, a, it, sounds, it seems like they're afraid to sing, you know? And it's like you want to sing. But you have to tone it down just a little bit because you don't want to stand out. You don't want anybody like thinking, what's this crazy person doing? But you got something to, when I, when I first got saved, before I got saved, somebody invited us to go to um, what was then called Agape Force, uh, out where YWAM is now. Uh, and a guy named Winky Prattney was speaking. And uh, so before he started speaking, they had worship. And I had never been <laughs> in a worship service like that before. They were singing, it seemed to me like kiddie songs, clapping their hands. This one song that they sang, they stood up and then they sat down and then they stood up and then they sat down. And everybody just seemed like they're having such a great time. And I was just like embarrassed to be there because I was, you know, we were sitting on the front row, you know. And so when you don't participate, you stand out more than if you acted like they were acting, which I thought was goofy. And then the guy stood up to speak and boy, he just connected with my heart. What he had to say was, was compelling, and it was inspiring, and it hit me right where I, wa where I was. It wasn't just because he was a good speaker. It's because God had his sights on me, man, and he, was, he, he had me in a place that I, was very unlikely for me to be, and man, he took full advantage of that. And when I left, I thought, you know, I like that word part. You know, I like that preaching part. That was great. Why do they have to do all the goofy singing part, you know? Because it just seemed, I mean, I was raised in a denomination that didn't do stuff like that, you know? I mean, even our youth group didn't do stuff like that. And I was like, why? But you know what I found out? Not too long after that, I found out that that part, that singing part, was in some ways maybe more important than the preaching part. They're both important. They're both important. But this declaration in song, this demonstration of joy, this appreciation for what you have, and this celebration, this free celebration, was just as important as the preaching of the Word was. Not too long after that, after I got saved, you know, maybe three or four years after that, I was, worship I was a worship leader. So God was just like, okay, Joe, we'll see. <laughs> and I was leading, you know, this little lot of mine and, you know, the horse and rider and you know i was leading the, you know the songs that were just as goofy as that but i had i had come to the place in my life that i realized the reason why i was put off by that 
It's because of pride. It was like I wanted God, but I wanted Him in a manageable way, and I didn't want to do anything that was embarrassing, and I wanted to, you know, just continue in my own, you know, stewing in my own juices instead of, you know, worshiping Him. And that's not the way it always is. Sometimes, there's, you know, it comes time for worship, and we're just not feeling it, you know? We're just, just not feeling it. And you have as much a, much a job an effect on the worship leader as the worship leader has on you. I don't know if you ever think about that, but if you come to church ready to worship, then you're going to worship. And the worship leader is going to be free to lead worship. You know? Um, I used to be a um, youth pastor um, here when I first became associate pastor. And uh, you know how youth groups are. Some of them, like, they get after it. You know, but a lot of them are just, they're just very, um, you know, self-conscious. You know, they don't really know who they are and they don't want anybody to know that they don't know who they are and they don't want to do anything goofy, you know, and so they're just kind of like, you know, watching each other sideways. So I was, I was leading worship um, in youth group and just go, getting after it, man, breaking strings. And uh, they would just stand there. And, and one of my um, youth group uh, leaders, um, it, it might have been, um, well, I'm not going to say who it was. It, it's not anybody that's here today, but it's a f- kind of a family that's here um, and one of my youth group leaders, like, I was talking to him about it, and I was like, why, you know, what are you guys thinking? Like, when it's time to worship, and you just stand there, that seems like that would be uncomfortable. What are y'all thinking? And he said, well, I'm thinking that you really like to worship. <laughs> Which is true, <laughs> but I'm hoping that it will be contagious, you know? And there were times that we had awesome worship, but a lot of times... Kids are like grown-ups. They have hard days and they have hard lives and, you know, they just have a hard time getting over that hump. Anyway, we're not very good sometimes at celebrating as we ought to be. Um, Israel is literally standing on the wall that God has allowed them and inspired them and provided for them to build. What God had done, not for them, but through them. Just think about that for a second, okay? I wonder if maybe you might write something down that you are thankful for today, that God has used you to do. Not just done for you, but done through you. Would you just take a second and and write something down? And if you have this sense of... um, like uh, you're, you're a little bit embarrassed to write something that you have done, you know, that's false. I'm not being ugly to you, but that's false humility because it's God doing it through you. It's not you doing it. If it was you doing it, then you could say, I don't want to brag. But if it's God doing it through you, as goofy as you are, that's a miracle. You ought to give him credit for it, and you ought to take credit for it as well. And that's what they're doing. They're celebrating what God has done through them for themselves and for others. Choirs and singing, as we saw, they they appointed singers on the wall. You know, that was their job. And if you don't know the history of Israel, you might not understand what's going on there. But they recognized that there was power in song. There was power in in praise. And th- I'll give you a couple of examples of, hi- of Israel's DNA. One of them is a guy named David. 
who was just a shepherd, probably not that, you know, spectacular in his appearance, you know, just he was just a shepherd, just a little shepherd boy. And he transformed the worship of Israel. At the time that he had become king, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, was neglected and just stuffed somewhere in a closet. It had been used in a wrong way. It had come back in and had never been restored to its proper place. And when David became king, he was all about it, man. He was not just about military strength. He was about spiritual strength in Israel. He knew that the strength of Israel totally depended on the presence of the Lord. Like Moses knew. God told Moses, y'all go up. He didn't say y'all, but he said, you guys go up. You, you Israelites go up. He might have said y'all. Y'all is a, it's a, it's a handy word, right? So there's nothing wrong with it. And he doesn't mind sounding like a hick, apparently. Um, due to other things that we've seen him, him do. He doesn't care, right? So anyway, side, that's a sidebar. Um, he said, you guys go up. I'm tired of this people. I, they are stiff-necked. They won't listen. They're going to do it their own way. I've done all these signs and wonders and, and amazing things, and they're still completely sideways with me. He said, go up. You go up to the promised land. And he said, I'm not going. And Moses said, if you don't go, we're not going. God was going to give him a land. He was going to, he was going to uh, provide for him. He's going to take care of him. He's just like, I'm not, I just can't be around you guys. And Moses is like, if you're not going, I'm not going. That's how much the presence of God, that's how central it was, how much he understood the presence of God. And David was the same way. The ark is not in Israel. And, and, and uh, David doesn't say, I'm going to put it back where it was. I'm going to put it in the tent like it was. He said, I'm going to take the, the, the um, choice military position in this whole area. And that was in Jerusalem. It was a, thing, it was a, a site called Mount Zion, and it's like the high point of the city. And it was inhabited by the Jebusites. And those guys weren't playing. And they weren't like, okay, you know, you want it here, you can they were they were gonna fight. And it was a it was a stronghold, citadel. It was very difficult to take. And David took it. His mighty men did mighty works in order to take that. And you know what David said? He didn't say that's where I'm gonna live. He said that's where I'm gonna install the presence of God in the middle of the city. It's going to be the high place, literally. It's going to have the most honor in the city. It's going to be, and, and, and it's like this today, you can see it from everywhere. That one spot, you can see from everywhere. And if you can see it, it can see you. And that's where he wanted God to be, in the heart, in the middle of his city. But he wasn't done. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant up into the city, he danced. He danced. And it said he danced with all his might. When's the last time you were so moved with joy that you danced? I bet you have. I bet you have. It may have been when you were three or four, because they don't know any better, right? Is that not true? Two-year-olds, put some music on, they're going for it, right? Some grown-ups do that too, right? 
But this David is just like, this is a big deal and I'm going to make a big deal about it. And so, and, and so he came dancing and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and singing and he, he appointed a, a band to go and choir to go. It was such a big deal and it was such a demonstration of joy. And when he got to his house after that whole thing, his wife, one of his wives, the daughter of Saul actually, which kind of explains her reaction to it, she said, didn't you just make yourself, you know, a fool today? Didn't you just look like a fool? Because if he's the king, I guess she thinks she's the queen, and she's got some, you know, image to, to maintain. And David said, yeah, I did, and I'm going to be worse than that. I'm not going to put a lid on it. I'm not going to put a cork in it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go, man. I'm going to let it flow, because God is worth it. And not only that, he instituted, God gave, you, you, if you read, if you're reading through the Bible in the year, you probably come to this point where God gives all of the laws, all of the instructions, all of that. There's nothing about dancing in there. There's nothing about singing in there. And David made that part of the worship. And God was pleased with it. That's one reason why David is called a man after God's own heart. Because if God said to sing, then you'd be singing because you had to sing. But if God says, I'm going to do all this for you, and I'm going to be all this for you, and I'm going to make you into this, and you want to sing, then that's good. That's what he wants. He wants people to sing because they want to sing, not because they have to sing. And he never ordered it, but he loves it. He loves the experience of it. Fast forward a couple of hundred years to one of David's descendants. His name is Jehoshaphat. And Israel is you know, hot and cold, you know, up and down, you know, they're, they're worshiping false gods, they're coming back to God. It's like a constant, constant, you know, uh, vacillation on their part. And so the enemies came against them, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some otherites. And these guys are not, they're not playing either. They're, they're, they want to kill them. This is still going on in the Middle East. It's, this is kind of the way this region has always been. But they've been surrounded. Now they've been surrounded by an army. And Israel never was militarily like this dominant force. They were spiritually this dominant force. And all of the nations around them were always afraid that Israel would get a clue and start worshiping their, their God because they were scared to death. This is super, superficial, um, superstitious people. They were, they were scared to death of that. They were scared when Israel came in. Israel said, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And because they saw the giants, the giants were scared to death of Israel. Not Israel, the God of Israel. So they came and they camped against, and they, they, they taunted them. You have to read this. Um, it's, in, um, it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. David dancing before the Lord is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you want to make a note of that. Jehoshaphat, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, they came and they camped against the city. And Jehoshaphat goes in to God and he's just like, this is what they're saying about you, God. And he knew very well, militarily they were sunk. But he brought it in to the Lord. And I believe God put a plan on his heart. And it comes back to this power of song. And so they go out to fight the enemy. And here's the way that they do it. They put the band first. Now, I don't know about you, 
But most musicians that I know are not the ones you want going first to fight. Most of them are not, you know, built. Some are. Most of them are not, you know, warriors. They're, they're lovers, you know. They're, they're living a lifestyle of pleasure, you know. They sleep late and, the, and they, they stay up late. And, you know, that's what musicians usually do. And that's what, that's what they said. That's what Jehoshaphat said. He's going to put the musicians first. He's going to put the worshipers first. And that's how they went to battle. And they put the enemy to flight. It wasn't that the enemy was afraid of them or their band. You know, whoa, they got trumpets. <laughs> I don't know what we can do about that. No, it's their God is being glorified and their God is being exalted. And their God went before them and he set them against each other. The enemy turned on one another. The enemy, they, they were routed. This huge army was routed by the power of a song. And that's why you see in the book of Nehemiah that they got singers on the wall. Because they remember David. They remember worship. They remember the overflow of, of, of their hearts toward God. Listen, David didn't just sing happy songs. He sang, he sang sad songs. He sang honest songs. He wrote the blues. He wrote some upbeat stuff. He wrote, you know, some military stuff. You need different kind of music for different things, right? Am I right? Now, I remember several years ago that people were preaching against this kind of music and preaching against that kind of music, and this is the devil's music. Listen, man, music is not that. You may attribute something to it, but music itself is just music. It's just an expression of the heart. And David used all kinds of music, all kinds. Some congregations that really struggle with worship. They want it traditional or they want it contemporary. That's a false construct. It, God loves it all if it's coming from an honest heart. right? And if you're all into contemporary worship, not comfortable singing hymns, you need to get comfortable. And if you're all into singing hymns because they've got all the doctrine and they've got all the history and they've got all of that, God says that's fine as long as it doesn't have mothballs. You know? As long as it's real for you and you're really singing it. But if you're just singing it because Grandma sang it, it I think it bores him just like it bores you. You know? Get a clue. Sing a, sing a song. Sing a chorus. Make one up. So that kind of explains what the singers were doing and what, um, what Nehemiah was after. What he was after right there is reinstituting not the law, not the um, tabernacle in the wilderness, but he was reinstituting David's form of worship, which was the, was the man after God's own heart, and he instituted in the center of the city because he wanted it to be the center of life for the nation. And they're saying, they're going back to that, and they're touching that, that base, and they're saying, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. They made that wall for a reason. Here's what the wall being restored meant to them. It meant protection, it meant identification, it meant separation, it meant authority, and it meant power. Obviously, that's what the wall is for. It's for protection. It's to keep the bad guys out. But it's also for identification. It says, we belong here. This is our stronghold. This is our city, and we belong here. But it's also for separation. It separates the, the good from the bad. And there are bad people. There are bad people, right? 
And I'm not saying we're wrestling against flesh and blood, but I'm saying there are some people that are under the influence of the enemy, and they are, they are dangerous people. They need to be kept out. God constantly, and that's one of the things that he, he talked about in here, was the intermarriage. And why, why is that? Because if a guy is married to a woman who is worshiping a false god, she is going to have an influence on him. Maybe she won't make him worship her God, but his heart is always going to be divided. The same thing for a woman if she is married to a man who worships a false God. And God, God wanted a separation. He wanted a clear separation it's unto himself. Not away from the, the enemy, but unto himself. And he wanted that wall to be a clear separation to, to, for them to say, this is our space. This is a place where they had authority and they had power. And they were no longer captives in a foreign land. This was their place. And they got to have it. Listen, that's how your house ought to be too. It ought to be your space. It ought to not be under the influence of anybody else or anything else that you get to decide what goes on in that house. And that God, if you enthrone God in that home, that's your business and it's not anybody else's business. You hear what I'm saying? If I'd have said that 10 years ago, I'd be like, well, yeah, Joe. But that's not, the, that's not the, where we're living right now. And that's not the direction that we're going. Evil is trying to invade your mind, your heart, and your home. And finally, it was a sign of victory. This, this completion of this wall was a sign of, of victory. I'll read one more, and then we're going to do a little exercise. Chapter... Uh, ch chapter 12, verses 44 um, through 47. Um, starting in 44 of chapter 12. And on that day, the men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather uh, into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. So you see what's going on here. They're going not just back to the dead religion that they had, but they're going to the life that God always wanted them to have. And that is handed down to them, instituted for them, provided for them by their best king, by, their, by, by the king who was the man after God's own heart. And it says, For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart, apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. And that last part where it said they set apart for the Levites and the sons of Aaron, that goes back to their confession. They had neglected that, and that's one of the things that they said in the covenant that they made with God. We won't neglect this anymore. And now they're following through on it. They're not just talking it. They're not just, just, uh, just saying stuff, but they're actually doing it and instituting it. Okay. I asked you earlier to write something down, so I can't make you do that, but I hope that you take you know take note of that 
Because what I want to do now, um, Tinder's supposed to come back. Can somebody go and see um, if Tinder's going to come back now and we're going to do a, a little celebration service, okay? Let's stand together. So we've been through the book of Nehemiah. I know we haven't read every single verse, but the principles of the thing, I hope that that's all coming home to you. We've done this at the beginning of the year to kind of prepare ourselves for the year ahead and, and to really pray to God and really, you know, direct our hearts to God. And, uh, and that, all of us have things in our lives that we need to be restored, we need to change, and things like that. And I just, I just hope that this has been a meaningful time for you. It has been um, for me. But what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to come, do you guys mind moving out of your chairs, just coming down to the front up here? Would y'all mind? Oh, here she comes. Tender. And we're just going to worship. Thank you, Lord. Whether you want to kneel or bow or sit 
or raise your hands or do all of those things if you can do all those things at one time. Just express your worship to the Lord. Block out everything else. Block out what's coming after this and block out what's come before and just gaze upon Him and give Him the worship that He deserves from your heart. Amen. Yes. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who
Amen. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Let's uh, lift up a song of praise, and this is one that you make up, okay? Um, you can use the melody um, that, that uh, Tender is playing if you want to, and just put your own words to it, or if you're able to do it, you can riff off of that, and just singing that. If you want to sing in another key, that's fine, too. It's, it's all, uh, he's, he's looking at our hearts, and that's all he cares about, but put words to your worship, songs of deliverance that we sing to him for his glory. You're the way 
maker, you made a way for me. This week, just make a, a commitment between you and the Lord, not to listen to the radio, but to fill your car while you're in your car with praise. That's something that you, you can sing a song you know, or uh, you can make up a song. Um, I have known so many people that have recovered because of worship, and so many people that have been filled with the Spirit because of worship, and they pray for something to happen, but they see things happen when they just let themselves go and worship. So how about this week, try to set aside that windshield time for worship. And uh, you'll know that you're successful if people look at you like you're crazy as you're driving down the road, singing at the top of your lungs, and uh, that God is going to be pleased with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this just sacred time uh, today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you pursue us 
and you break upon us like this, Lord, unexpectedly, because we think we know what's going to happen when we come to church, Lord, and it's all good. It's good. But you, you took us on a different journey today, Lord, and I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that this wouldn't just be something we look back on um, fondly, but it would be something that empowers us and, uh, and informs our actions, Lord, and brings us to a new level of worship and to a, a new level, level of joy, um, a new level, Lord Jesus, of celebration of all that you've done and all that you are and all that your kind intention toward us is, Lord. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.